Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everybody. I'm Joey Brenneman from Offscript Health. Welcome to the Tangential Conversation Companion to Offscript Health's Before We Die podcast. We fondly named this bonus episode Lab Before Slab. These are the sometimes random, often fascinating, and always a little bit quirky conversations that happen around our production table. We couldn't quite fit them into our regular episodes, but we had a feeling that there are listeners out there who would enjoy them. So here are the Before We Die creators, Sandra Miller, John McMahon, and Craig Allman to geek out about the latest happenings in the medtech arena. Uh, Thanks, Joey. So today we're going to talk about off-label prescriptions. And we hear that all the time. It's not clear what it is. Is it good? Is it bad? Or something in between. So off-label is when doctors prescribe drugs that haven't been approved for the indication, the disease that you have. And this started in the, about 1978, this phrase came uh, of use, when uh, a particular pharmacist, Ben Smith of Provo, Utah, was given a prescription for a drug that was off-label And the directions for use were so elaborate, he had to staple an additional page onto the bottle. Uh, Hence the phrase off-label. It was funnier before. (laughs) And bottles that you can staple onto, yes. (laughs) So it turns out uh, anywhere from 20 to 50% of all the drugs that are prescribed by doctors across the country uh, are off-label. It kind of depends on which research you read. But some huge percentage... And it doesn't mean that patients know it's off-label. It doesn't mean that any of this stuff works or that anyone's paying attention. So I wanted to bring it up today and see what we think of off-label usage and how we can make this better. Off-label use is actually, it's got another connotation now. So that was sort of the FDA use, but it's actually got a bigger connotation and it's close to me right now. So I've got a relative that's fighting cancer and it's come back And in this setting, the labeling, the restriction from the FDA on the approved use also determines whether it's reimbursed and whether insurance will cover it. There's a really big economic and access to patient aspect of off-label. And in that scenario, there's actually people that want to say, you're you're getting something that's off-label so that they don't have to pay and cover it insurance-wise. And this is a cancer drug for somebody with uh, close to me uh, with late-stage recurrent cancer. And right now, the doctors are saying, the two doctors are arguing whether they this guy should get it. So off-label isn't just, is it prescribed? But to patients, 
it's really, is it going to be covered from an insurance standpoint? So I want to see it. I mean, I deeply, deeply have read the condition. I've looked at what the patient has, what the drug does, and there's a nuance in the wording and the insurance companies are at risk to hide behind it. So I want that off-label use to go and then to, to go to this, uh, to this relative of mine. And so, you know, off-label in that scenario is, is a big deal. But people use it. You're using it to say, like, should it be used? The bigger impact to patients is does that drive insurance? cost right right because well, the, they're not going to give they're not often going to give it to you if it's not covered well the question is why off-label exists right you can either think of it as a loophole or as a form of hypocrisy the loophole is that when you come up with a, a drug and you get an indication okay you can use this drug to treat illness x to go through every clinical trial of every possible other indication that you might get is fabulously time-consuming and fabulously expensive. So the nice thing about off-label is that your personal doctor can see if the drug also treats illness Y that you have. The problem with that is, A, he doesn't really know. B, uh, often it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, I mean, I don't know you could say he doesn't know. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty broad stroke on a whole profession, so... Well, it, it hasn't been officially approved. And you get, you know, some doctors who are really responsible and up on the research and understand how the drug works. And you get other doctors who are saying, yeah, you've, you've got uh, COVID take ivermectin. So you're adding a, a huge amount of uh, relativity, relativity and uh, accident in terms of the quality of care people get because you're depending on the doctors. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. One of the things that is also interesting about this is one of the best arguments in that I've seen in favor for it has been, you know, for use in uh, kids. Sometimes there are there are kids with genetic or, or other cardiac conditions. There are not a lot of medical devices because it's not a big mark, uh, a big enough market for certain technologies to be used in kids. And so you know, the doctors just want to treat their patient. They try to get very creative about that. Are you designing to protect against bad doctors or are you trying to implement things for good doctors? Because those those are really, from a business standpoint, one needs a whole lot of oversight and the other one needs free reins to run like Joey's pony, <laughs> right? So licorice, I believe. So if licorice wants to run and give you really good health care, <laughs> You know, that's a restraining thing. So where do, where do you draw the line? And I think I get to tell you because it's personal right now. I say let licorice run and let's get some off-label use. I think the thing. 
thing, the thing that we need to clarify above any of this is that licorice is a horse that I rode in the Grand Canyon, just to be clear. <laughs> Don't want to clarify any of the FDA stuff, but the horse stuff, got to clear that up. <laughs> yeah, I think licorice might be a little too old to run, so maybe <laughs> just so a, uh, an effortful trot. Another layer of hypocrisy is there are lots of drugs right now that are used predominantly off-label. And the manufacturers know that, and all the doctors know that, but the manufacturer, and, and it works fine. You can think of ketamine as, a, a, for instance, using, using ketamine for all sorts of psychological issues, uh, PTSD, uh, depression, and the like. That's not an indication that ketamine has, but there are hundreds of doctors around the country using it uh, reasonably successfully. So that loophole becomes hypocrisy when kind of everyone knows what's going on, but you as the drug provider can't mention the off-label use, even though everyone's doing it, even though all of your clients are buying it for that. So hypocrisy is an indication that something is wrong with the system. And what's annoying to me is that a lot of essential data from drugs being prescribed off-label uh, and succeeding or failing, that's falling through the cracks. We don't know of those responses. So you can't ask the drug company to test their drugs for approval for every possible use of it. But if people are using the, a drug, prescribing it, we should at least have some sense of feedback that, oh, this is succeeding for this kind of population, this is not succeeding for another kind of population. You know, we're letting data fall through the floor, which could really help us have a more effective healthcare system. It also seems like, is it... Go ahead, Joey. No, I was wondering, so is the concern ultimately like that people don't want to be sued? Like this this drug was not written for this, so we can't prescribe it because we don't want to be... And therefore, if we prescribe it, I mean, even if we know it works, we could be sued if something goes wrong. So it's the the doctor is licensed to do, to provide medicine however they see fit. So the doctor is pretty much protected on that side. The limitation on talking about it is actually on the company to mention that it also does something else. Mm. Right? Uh -huh. The limitation isn't on you getting the drug or the device. It's actually the burden is on the licensed professional to, to give you that prescription. That's the physician. And their, their license is pretty free reign. You know, there's different states are sort of more proactive from a malpractice standpoint. The FDA is actually implementing, and it'll come slowly, real-world evidence now where they're following drugs and devices from their initial narrow indication, because you're trying to get to market by matching your your treatment to a specific patient population for the highest degree of success. And then people are like, well, I want to use it in other places. The mitra clip invented by Mehmet Oz is getting put in every type of heart failure patient around because it's the only available device. The real world evidence is not what the trial evidence is. That's going to show up sooner or later. So it's the limitations not on the the doctor. It's the company's risk of making a claim that they didn't earn. Got it. Yeah, that's an, another common reason why uh, drugs and medtech is used out of uh, label because there's no other alternative, right? Uh, it's the old line: if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If the mitral clip is all you've got, then that's what you use. 
and it's it's really helping a lot of a lot of people. But the same thing with the pediatric case. There's a big demand for some things to get pulled to a patient that they weren't in the trial, and that's um, for me personally on the in my own life right now and in devices. That's good that it's in the surgeon's hands and the doctor's hands to make that uh, decision. Right. So the gating factor now, because doctors can prescribe any legal drug or piece of equipment, is really, will the insurance companies support it? Will they pay for it off-label? And a lot of doctors get around that by basically saying that they're not using it off-label. Mm. And that's just another layer of hypocrisy in the system that is not healthy. So there you have it. Join us next time because you never know where Lab Before Slab is going to go. And for more in-depth conversations with our medtech innovators, join us for our regular episodes of Before We Die on this very same feed. Thanks for listening. Lab Before Slab is an off-script health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producers are Joey Brenneman and Ariel Nachman. Lab Before Slab is mixed by Kyle Moore. Our Lab Before Slab panel of experts and creators of the show are Sandra Miller, John McMahon, and Craig Allman. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-283-4666. Share your healthcare stories and we might just play them on the air in a future episode. For more information, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com. <laughs>